Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where you are part owner. Member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by Lee Pomeroy. Good morning. Joining us now for our Every Day is Earth Day segment is Kent Tesey. He is the Senior Vice President of the MinStar Bank, and he has also been involved with the farm community for many, many years. Good morning, Kent. Well, good morning. Great to be here today. Now, you're a very familiar voice and face because you've been, I know, a spokesperson for ag for many, many years on KEYC-TV, for one thing. And back in the day when I was there, you were also the spokesperson, not to say you're getting old or anything, but it has been a while. Yeah, (laughs) I have been around a while. I've actually been here in Mankato involved in the agriculture industry and very first with the University of Minnesota Extension Service and now at the bank as well as kind of being an ag analyst since 1987. So I have been involved in the area ag community for quite a while. Well, we're glad to have you on today. I want to talk about something called carbon sequestration and carbon credits, which sounds like a mouthful, but it was a big discussion at the recent Farm Fest where they were talking about carbon sequestration and carbon credits and potential legislation to address climate change. And it had a lot of discussion during the Farm Fest forums by elected officials, ag leaders and experts in the carbon industry. So what in the world, they mentioned it's called carbon farming. Kent, what is that? Well, I guess if we back up the train a little bit, of course, the whole climate change, global warming issue uh, has been a big issue, really not just recently, but for a number of years. But it's finally kind of coming to a head a little bit. I think uh, more attention being paid to this, both at the governmental levels and policy levels at the federal and state level, but also by private industries. More and more we hear of companies that are in the food business and food and beverage business wanting products produced in more sustainable fashions and that type of thing. And it all kind of leads toward this. Now, where the carbon sequestration and carbon credits come in, some of the practices that farmers use or can implement can be very carbon-friendly and actually uh, reduce the amount of carbon dioxide emissions and be carbon-friendly. And, of course, some industries may not have those capabilities. So where the carbon credits and carbon trading comes in is to compensate those that can implement practices that are carbon friendly and uh, are on the plus side of the equation and those that are don't have those capabilities then buy those carbon credits to balance that out now this is a very new concept so it's in a very much a developmental stage at this point and uh, i guess as to quote one of the speakers at farm fest on the panel said The carbon market today is like the wild, wild west. In other words, there's more unknowns than there are knowns about how this thing will actually evolve and develop. Well, because carbon sequestration, it's a process of capturing and storing 
the atmospheric carbon dioxide and just one method of reducing the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere with the goal of reducing global climate change. Now, some of these things, as I understand, I, I read an article, I think it was the, the Agri-News, they were talking about some people are already doing it in the way of no-till, for example, is one way that that maybe has been done already. Well, right. There are some farming practices that are already sequestering carbon, reduced tillage, uh, whether it's no-till or reduced tillage can be one of those methods. Another is the use of cover crops, which have come into play more in recent years in farming practices. Another is managing fertilizer, more prescriptive fertilizer applications. And all of these practices have been around for a while. And, you know, that I think becomes one of the challenges with the whole carbon market if we're going to compensate farmers for carbon sequestration, whether it be through private trading of carbon credits or incentivized payments from the government for carbon credits, does that just go to the farmers that implement new practices or implement restructured practices, or does it go to the ones that have already been doing it for several years and you know, are they just out then and do not get any compensation, you know? And and that happens a lot with certain things. So it's, and that's that, that actually is a big part of uh, how this unfolds. And, you know, as far as compensating farmers or others, you know, there's really, it's a kind of a bimodal effect. You got the kind of the free market system where there might be exchanges of, where someone is buying these carbon credits and someone else is selling them and making them available. And then you also have the other side of the equation, which would be through more incentivized payments. In other words, the federal government, for example, in farming, could incentivize some of these payments through something like the Farm Bill, which will be up for renewal in 2023, through crop insurance payment. There's there's cost share and crop insurance premiums, and that, that could be tied into it. I mean, there's a number of ways. And, of course, the most logical way is the Conservation Reserve Program, which, again, is very carbon-friendly. And was starting with the last Farm Bill, we... Uh, increase the number of acres in the CRP program. And uh, recently through the Biden administration, they've put some extra incentives into certain provisions in the CRP program. So that's another way to kind of incentivize landowners and farm operators to maybe take advantage of some of these more carbon-friendly programs. See, that's the frustrating part is having to incentivize everything when maybe it's like Some people are doing the right thing because it's the right thing. It reminds me kind of of the vaccination where a lot of us got the vaccination right away because it was the right thing to do. And others waited until there's this hundred dollar bonus to be incentivized to do it. And that seems like that's sort of what you're saying here with the use of uh, land to sequester carbon. Yeah, I think so. I I mean, I think it's, it's a little more complicated than that because obviously farmers just can't turn on a dime. In other words, depends what kind of practices we're talking about here. If if we're talking about switching tillage systems or something like that, it may mean farmers have to rearrange their equipment that they have, and depending on, it, it could even involve changing planters, tillage equipment, it could involve even changing combines, depending on uh, how it matches up, or spraying equipment. So suddenly a farmer may have to invest 
half a million dollars or more mm-hmm. to make those changes. So it isn't like they can wake up one morning and decide, hey, we're going to be carbon friendly and do this. Uh, it may involve a significant investment by that farmer to do that. So, And, of course, if they... Most farmers aren't going to have that many dollars available to do it, so that means they'd have to borrow the money and make payments over years. The other factor, I think, from a farm standpoint, is this going to affect their bottom line? In other words, will they be able to maintain their production and their yield? You know, if, if in crop production, for example, if they have to sacrifice yield, uh, all of a sudden that could get hurt the bottom line. The margins up until the last year have been very tight in recent years in crop production and so anything that affects that bottom line and that margin could really uh, cause some challenges there now that doesn't necessarily have to happen there's people that have done some of these reduced tillage practices for example and uh, had very good success some other practices like cover crops have worked well in some instances but on some other years where we've had weather challenges on some heavier soils they've had some some issues with cover crops so you know there there's a lot of moving parts here and obviously if you switch to new practices that don't have the research behind them and the scientific background you're taking on more risk if you're taking on more risk are you going to have the insurance coverage is your ag lender or banker going to go along with you if it's a higher risk situation so to just say that well we're incentivizing farmers that should be doing it anyway not quite that easy and you know, and and one of the challenges, I a lot of times when we talk about sustainability, we talk about how it affects the environment, maybe how it's socially acceptable and all that. Very rarely does the word profitability get included in sustainability. And really, for something to be sustainable, whether it's in agriculture or anything, sustainable means it's ongoing and continuing. You do have to factor in the financial aspect. For a farmer to go out and make the investment to do something if they're going to lose their farm in five years doesn't make any sense either so all the, there's a lot of moving parts that all got to fit together right so maybe it isn't the fact that they don't want to do the right thing but like you said it's the cost that is out there well this discussion that was at farm fest where did people stand were there some that were saying yeah we should do this and others dead set against it or or kind of where where are farmers and ag folks leaders you know i i don't think it comes down to karen being on one side or the other i think too often we try to paint it that way i think it's more or less making it fit and Mm. You know, I think there's a lot of farmers that, hey, if they can make this fit into their operation and it is economically viable, are willing to do it. We had three farmers on the panel at Farm Fest, and, you know, they were all different types of farmers and sizes. A lot of times there's the impression only the small farmers want to do this, change practices, and can make it work. But we had we did have a smaller crop farmer on there, smaller to more moderate size. We had a farmer on there that uh, was pretty big in beef cattle that was using rotational grazing and planted more natural grasses, plus had a small crop operation. And then we had a farmer on the panel that had 6,000 acres of land in west-central Minnesota that raised corn, soybeans, and sugar beets. And sugar beets are one of the hardest crops there is to kind of make more carbon friendly and so and they were doing it very successfully so 
again, sometimes we like we kind of pigeonhole farmers or categorize them, and uh, I think we got to be flexible. Uh, you get a lot of differences in land types and what fits. Uh, I think the biggest challenge going forward is to realize one size doesn't fit all or one shape doesn't fit all in carbon sequestration. We need we need to have technical expertise to help these farmers to adapt. And I think in addition to incentivizing maybe some financial incentives to help make those practices happen, we also need to make sure we have the technical support to do it. And we have to continue to fund research projects through universities and other places to find the best practices that are carbon-friendly that are also friendly toward uh, profitability in the farm. I I mean, I I just think it's got to be a multifaceted approach. It can't just be, well, we're going to throw a little money out here to get farmers to switch practices. I think we need to have a long-term, again, tying in the word sustainability, a longer-term sustainable kind of approach to this method that we're taking on. And I guess the bottom line at the Farm Fest situation was there's a lot more questions than answers as we move forward on this, whether it's the type of practices but also the carbon markets. I mean, uh, the one caution flag, I think, for farmers was make sure you know who you're working with. There's private firms coming out offering carbon markets and carbon trading, but uh, make sure you understand contracts, understand what kind of agreement you're getting into before you go full bore into some long-term agreement on carbon credits and carbon sequestration. Is there a carbon market out there? I mean, I really don't know. So, I- Well, there is. There are some companies that are starting to uh, establish this, but it's very much in an infancy stage. You know, and that's a big discussion, too. Should those carbon markets be uh, done through the private sector? Should they be over... Should the oversight of these markets be done by the federal government? What kind of oversight does there need to be on these? You know, again, a lot of questions out there on, and that was kind of what came out of the Farm Fest Forum was you kind of left there. We had some pretty good experts on that panel that they're, yeah, they, they were moving that direction, but there's still a lot of unanswered questions yet as we move forward. And I was reading also in an article they talked about not, all farms are really set up to be able to sequester carbon because some, like in exceptionally dry areas, aren't don't have the right climate or conditions to do that. So it's really hit or miss in terms of who could participate. Well, yeah, and that's that's the other thing is how do we determine what the value of a carbon credit is or how much carbon is being sequestered and there again we need some research we need some established there there really isn't a a set established way of determining some of that so there there are some things that need to be figured out the other factor some people don't like to hear this either but i'll say it anyway is livestock production can fit very well into carbon sequestration, especially raising cattle on pasture and grass. But, of course, some people want us to move away from eating meat and a livestock society, but uh, that actually fits well with sequestering carbon because you got, you got, you're raising food production on grass rather than doing it by tilling the soil and uh, using commercial fertilizer and other things. So, you know, that that's another thing that 
now we're balancing again back into the social aspects yeah. into carbon sequestration and environmental aspects. So there's a lot of things that weigh in on this that maybe are not tied in with science, I guess, that are more tied in with social aspects that, and expectations that people have. Do they even know, they meaning researchers, I guess, how much of a difference sequestering carbon and using carbon credits with agriculture could make? I mean, is that enough to make a difference if, like, let's say so many people get on board? How viable is it really to make a big difference? You know, I think that's a great question, Karen. I don't think we do know. What they do know, I think, is that agriculture is one way that we can sequester carbon and we potentially can make a difference. Now, obviously, that's probably not going to solve the situation because obviously we have to quit producing. On the other side, just you know, we we also got to look at other methods. You know, certainly forestry management's another big one. How we manage our forests and repopulating forests, you know, and and overall land management. I mean. I, we talk about agriculture, land management and agriculture. What about land management and urban development and how that's developed? I mean, that's <laughs> all over the country and all over the world. We're losing a lot of land uh, that potentially sequesters carbon to urban development and how that land is developed. Land use management is very important. So there's, again, there's a lot of different facets to this, but certainly I think agriculture has the potential to play a role in this and and the potential for some landowners and farmers probably to get some compensation whether it's programs like land programs like CRP or managed farming practices and we already have some of those the equip program is there which uh, compensates farmers for switching to different tillage practices and different management practices in livestock so we already have some of those programs there. It's just a matter of uh, kind of piecing them together. And I'm guessing the next farm bill will be discussed extensively over the next two years and till 2023 when the current farm bill runs out. And I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of discussion around these items as we develop the next farm bill. So would you say this discussion that they had at Farm Fest about this was fairly early on in the conversation and is just kind of getting started? Or, or how long has this been a factor, an issue for discussion? Well, I think it's been out there a while, but I think we are very early in the discussion, especially when it comes to understanding carbon sequestration and getting into car- trading carbon credits and how we compensate the back and forth on that, uh, buy and sell carbon credits. We're, we're in the very early stages. Now, as far as implementing some of the more common practices, such as either no-till or reduced tillage methods or cover crops or fertilizer management, some of those practices, uh, grassland management for livestock, I mean, those practices have been around for a long time. It's just a matter of probably dovetailing them a little more to fit under the carbon sequestration type of model. Is there a lot of research going on right now to deal with all this? I think there's some. You know, I think there's certainly room for more, but I think there's a lot of universities that are at least looking at a lot of this. There's been a lot of research done in recent years looking at cover crops, and certainly tillage research has been going on for decades, Mm -hmm. looking at different types of tillage practices and 
So there, there is some research out there on, again, the more basic practices out there. I, I think as you get into some other practices, it probably gets a little more sketchy, but at least on those basic kind of practices, I think there's some, there's some pretty good research out there. Kent, on a broader perspective, what do you tell farmers or others in agriculture, uh, some things they can do to conserve energy or make their work more sustainable? Are there other things that are out there that you are highly recommending that the way farmers can or agriculture folks can make a difference? Well, I guess I always like to point to the fact that just because you're doing practices that might be considered more sustainable doesn't mean that it has to affect your bottom line. I mean, uh, obviously, if let's take fertilizer management. If you're doing precision management on your crop inputs, fertilizer, chemicals, other inputs, if if you're putting the fertilizer and treating the weeds or diseases or insects in the right place, uh, rather than just broadly applying the fertilizer or the chemicals, it probably means that you're going to spend less dollars and maybe not affect the results very much. And ultimately, if you're spending less input dollars, it probably improves your bottom line. And I think that's where it comes in for farmers is to try to find those practices that either you maintain or improve your bottom line. Some of these practices can actually improve it. Uh, I've worked with farmers where they've made the investment to go to a reduced tillage system with a reduced tillage planter or tillage equipment. Now they have some upfront investment, but if they take advantage of some of the government programs that already exist, you know, are able to take advantage of that for that initial investment, they can probably save because if you can if you can plant either with reduced tillage trips, every tillage trip costs money. So if you can, you know, maintain your yields with uh, better equipment that reduces the tillage, uh, again, there's some savings in there. And certainly, like I said, the nutrient management, uh, a lot of farmers, uh, I think folks that are just out there think that when we raise livestock, especially hogs or dairy cattle, that that manure is a waste product. It's not a waste product. It's, if managed correctly, it's a highly valuable nutrient that reduces the need for commercial fertilizer. And, you know, you think back when our country was developed, uh, we didn't have commercial fertilizer. We relied on livestock mm-hmm. manure to raise crops. And that's, again, managing that input correctly is is a plus it's actually a plus environmentally because it's a natural compound that breaks down in the soil and is a very environmentally friendly practice but if it's not done right it can be environmentally unfriendly but a lot of the farmers today are uh, managing it correctly and using it correctly you know thinking back to my days on the farm we used to just you used to broadcast fertilizer in, there was no specific how today there's so many new technologies I think that are more specific where you can target how much uh, whether it's pesticides herbicides or fertilizer where it goes based on the soil etc and I think that's one of the biggest changes I've seen in the last I don't know 50 years in, in ag yeah it really is you know nowadays with the technology and equipment and digital satellite imagery they can specifically within a field to very small areas apply specific amounts of fertilizer or chemicals or seed. Farming is highly technical and highly, uh, we, we think about, 
industries that rely on technology, and a lot of times agriculture isn't mentioned, but it's probably one of the industries that uses technology as much as any. And uh, the first person you call today if your combine or planter breaks down or your tractor is the person who can plug a computer in and figure <laughs> out how to fix it. It isn't the person with a wrench. So, Well, I want to thank you, Kent. Anything else you'd like to add related to... No, I, I think, again, I, I'm... I like to be an optimist. I I see, I think we will figure some of this out, and I think agriculture will be a big player going forward in the whole movement with carbon sequestration and sustainability, and I think it's just a matter of following the path and sorting out where it fits. And now you are going to be talking about this topic coming up on September 10th? Right, a week from tomorrow. Okay, so Friday, September 10th from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., there will be a presentation that you will be at for the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council Forum. And specifically, is this what you're talking about? This will be part of what what I'll be talking about, right. We're going to kind of talk about where agriculture's at today and then kind of some of the things that we talked about here in this program that are on the horizon and and what the opportunities are for farmers in the agriculture industry, but also some of those challenges that are out there and, and what some of the needs are, like we talked about, where, where are some areas we need to do more research or get more expertise involved. All right, and again, that is on Friday, September 10th, 9 to 10 a.m., and is at the South Central Service Cooperative at 2075 Lookout Drive North, or they have it via the Zoom. Wonderful. Well, Ken Tesey, with over 40 years' experience in farm management and agriculture lending with MinStar Bank and the University of Minnesota Extension, we want to thank you for your time. We appreciate it, and all the best. Sounds good. It was great to be here today. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where you are part owner. Member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by Lee Pomeroy. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union. With two locations in Mankato since 1934, it pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.